welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We've all had to do it. Put on a smile or a full mask and pretend that we aren't pretending and struggling to get through a day or any given hour in that day. It can be hard enough on a weekend when it's just you and the dog that needs walking. When it's work and you need to dot I's and cross T's, balance budgets, interact with clients, meet deadlines and quotas. Well, that's next level acting and next level stress. It sure is. Now factor in that it might just be the job itself contributing to your anxiety, depression, and overall distress. How are you supposed to handle that? It can feel like or may actually be a choice of being employed or being well. Our guest today is Jeff McDonald from the UK. Jeff is well known for his openness in discussing his own mental health crisis and for advocating for changes in the workplace to reduce stigma and improve work culture around mental health. Jeff had a high-level, high-stress job at Unilever, a British multinational consumer goods company. He woke up one morning convinced he was having a heart attack. We pick up his story after he sees his doctor, gets a diagnosis, and makes a choice that changes his career and recovery paths. As you may have guessed, given the focus of this podcast, Jeff was not having a heart attack that morning. He was exhibiting symptoms of what would be diagnosed as anxiety-fueled depression. Rather than buck up and shut up, Jeff made the choice to stand up and speak up. He called his boss. I phoned him and I just said, Keith, I'm, I'm not well. I'm sick. I've been to the doctor. I've been diagnosed. And I'm not going to be able to come to work for, for, for a while. It would be full months before Jeff felt well enough to return to work full time. He started with two shortened days a week, then three, working his way back to a full work week. Because I wasn't 100% better, but going back to work was part of my recovery. It brought routine back into my life. It gave me that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning. I was able to reconnect with good old colleagues. I mean, that, that was all part of my recovery. But, you know, I was only um, probably 80% better. That's a little bit like if, if you went back to work with a broken leg, I wouldn't ask you to go and get me a cup of coffee, you know. And so just because you can't see my ailment doesn't mean we can't have the conversation and work out a plan which is going to result in a gradual reintegration back into the workplace. Jeff recognizes the unique factors that empowered him to prioritize his mental health 
and advocate for himself. The first was getting a diagnosis. And, you know, that's why I so encourage people to just go and see a doctor, go and see a medical professional if you've got these feelings and they've been with you for a long period of time. Because as soon as I got the diagnosis, I kind of felt liberated. I felt like, okay, now I know what is going on. Now I know what is wrong with me. Two other factors that allowed Jeff to not be burdened by stigma, as he puts it, were his personality and his position at work. What you see is what you get. You know, I'm not very good at masking my feelings. You know, look me in the eye and you will see if there's something wrong with Jeff. I think the third thing that was in my favor is at the time, I was no longer chasing the next rung on the corporate ladder. I was in a very, very senior role. Um, you know, had I been able to do this if I was a junior manager or middle manager, hugely ambitious in Unilever? Mm, maybe not. But I was lucky in that I had 20 years of credibility in the bank and I could draw on that credibility. I would be very hesitant to have walked in or called um, any of my bosses and said, I am unwell with a mental health challenge and I can't work. Uh, and I have to imagine that I am not in the minority. You are not. And that's why stigma, 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 stigma. That's why we've got to address stigma. That's why we've got to break stigma. Because you wouldn't think like that if you had a common physical illness. But because it's either a mental or an emotional struggle, and there's so much stigma around it, you absolutely would only have that conversation if you trusted the person, you knew what their relationship to mental ill health was, that they were going to be empathetic and compassionate, you know, then you might have that conversation. So how do you advise people based on your experience and all the stories you've heard traveling the world talking about mental health in, in any business? How do you advise people to go about having that conversation? Do you advise people to have that conversation? The first question I ask is, what do you think is your chief executive's relationship to mental ill health? your head of HR, your line manager, to what extent has the organization invested time, resource, money in addressing the stigma, raising the awareness of mental ill health? And if they say very little, then I advise them not to have the conversation, unfortunately, but to rather go and have that conversation with a doctor, with a good friend, with somebody that you trust, but just please, please go and have that conversation and get the help that you need. But if it is an organization which is well on the path in terms of addressing the stigma, then I would say to them, talk to your line manager about how you're feeling. Any idea what the percentage of organizations that are on that path is? I don't think it's higher than 10%. Ouch. Globally. And I often believe that senior managers think that they've made great progress in this space. But if you then talk to the junior middle managers, I think they will say to you, there's still a huge amount of fear and trepidation in having this conversation. Has COVID changed that at all? I think it has. I think conversations around mental health and mental ill health are far more, there are far more of those taking place in workplaces today as a result of COVID. And I, and I think the reason for that is because we've all felt certain degrees of 
mental ill health, whether that's anxiety, a bit of depression, a bit of sadness, etc. All of us, all over the world, have felt that. What's the incentive for an organization to take that step and to commit to creating a safe environment for people to be their whole selves? You know, nobody ever asks me, why do we need to keep people physically safe at work? And we spend billions in health and safety, you know, and nobody ever asks me, what's the benefits and why must I invest in, you know, making sure that every staircase has a railing and somebody's not going to fall down the stairs, you know, because we want to show a duty of care. Well, I think we should also show a duty of care in terms of people's emotional and mental well-being, not just their physical well-being. You're right. Nobody asks that question. And I never have. (laughs) When Jeff speaks to or about workplaces, he makes it very clear that beyond a duty of care, attention to employee mental health is just plain good business. If you can break the stigma around this stuff, people can put their hands up earlier and go and get help and support before maybe they fall over and have to then take time off work, which brings a huge cost to the organization. We all know that there are millions of people who go to work and they're just present. They're giving 30% of their effort rather than the 100% that they've been paid for. There's another huge cost to an organization. Also, Jeff says millennials and other younger generations that are more open about mental and emotional health are more interested in working for organizations that are too. They want to work for companies that are showing this degree of care. And so you become a more attractive place to work where you can attract great talent, which is going to contribute to the overall performance of the organization. You're going to have more engaged employees. You're going to drive levels of goodwill up much more loyalty, retention, and those are all good things for an an organization. You know, I often say to CEOs, why wouldn't you want an organization where people are energized, where they are flourishing, where they are giving of their best? Why would you not want that? While the idea of an annual wellness or well-being week may make for a great brochure or social media post, Jeff asks what businesses offer the other 51 weeks of the year. And I'm very critical of a lot of well-being programs that are out there right now where I say, you know what organizations are doing? They're doing well-being to their people, right? I've given you a Headspace app. I've given you a gym membership. Go and use it and sort yourself out. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, I think individuals have got to take some accountability. They've got to draw on those resources. They've got to use those resources. But I also think organizations have got to take some responsibility for the ways in which work is carried out in the organization. And so I think there's a real need to audit and understand the environment and what are those ways of working that might be adding to somebody's stress or distress. So yes, I can give you a Headspace app, but if you're not prepared to also change the ways of working, don't tell me to use the Headspace app. This is a partnership between me as the individual and you as the organization. Organizations that approach that partnership, or mental health in general, as simply required boxes to check, are not only doing a disservice to their employees, but to their businesses and bottom lines as well. In Jeff's advocacy and many presentations, he has learned the importance of speaking the language decision makers understand. The emotion that I find really resonates in talking to organizations is 
You know when you feel you've got lots of energy and you can move mountains? We can only feel like that, and, and I'm talking, this is emotion, feeling. We can only feel like that when we're healthy, when we're physically well, when we are emotionally well, when we're mentally well, and some would say when we are kind of spiritually well. We can only feel that when we're healthy in a holistic sense. Is energy an easier sell than emotional health when you're talking to the C-suite? 100%. I mean, the number of CFOs and uh, CEOs that kind of roll their eye at things like well-being and I think you've got to start, you've got to start with energy and then you can come to talk about well-being and what do we mean by well-being? You know, we mean people's physical health, but we also mean their emotional health, their mental health. And then I think you get into the conversation around emotions and feelings. But I think it's all in service of creating a more energized and passionate employee. The F word, feelings, not a popular topic around the office. Jeff says talking about emotional and mental health at work doesn't just feel uncomfortable and potentially dangerous for the employee, but for management as well. There's a real fear of getting into some of those conversations. They might say the wrong thing. They might not show the right kind of empathy and compassion. And so I think there's a whole capability building exercise that is required. But this is not rocket science. This is not impossible to do. It's about bringing the humanness back into the workplace and seeing these people as, as human beings, not just units of production. And what's your best advice for how to have that conversation? Like having a difficult conversation 101. So let's assume the conversation is, I've noticed that maybe you're not, uh, you're not Terry and you haven't been Terry for the last couple of weeks. And I'd like to have a conversation with you because your behavior has changed quite a bit over the last couple of weeks consistently and you're just not the normal Terry. And I always, I always think that there are two critical ingredients to that conversation. I think the first one, I need to bring my own vulnerability to that conversation. You know, I need to, to open up a little as well. And the second thing is I need to bring some data. So what do I mean by data? What is it that I've observed over the last three or four weeks that are saying to me, you know what, Terry's just not the good old Terry. And this is what I've observed. This is the data that I'm bringing to the table. And I want, to, and I want us to talk about this. And that makes you feel that I've really, I really do care. I've noticed these things. I'm bringing this stuff to your attention. And then finally, I think that conversation is one of really moving into active listening, true active listening, and being an active listener during that conversation, asking the right questions and just making sure that that person walks away feeling loved, supported, and that there's real compassion. Jeff doesn't just speak of vulnerability. He speaks with it. That's actually how we first heard of him. A social worker who had attended a mental health conference heard Jeff talk and wrote us, saying how rare it is for a corporate executive to stand before a room full of peers and disclose personal struggles with panic attacks, anxiety, and depression. So we want to end this interview as we began it, with Jeff sharing more of his own experience, specifically about his recovery. The two most powerful ingredients in my recovery was feeling loved and knowing that I was loved. And the only reason I could feel that sense of love 
and experience that love is because, you know, I was open about the fact that I was struggling with anxiety, fuel, depression. And what I got back from those who knew about my illness, if we want to call it that, is I got the most wonderful outpouring of love. And in my darkest, darkest moments, just knowing that I was loved was very, very powerful in me continuing to want to live and get better. But I think there was a second emotion that was very, very powerful as well. And that was a sense of hope. And and I experienced that because I used to meet with a friend who two years prior to my illness had been so ill that he'd been admitted to hospital. He'd been so ill with manic depression. And I used to meet with this guy and I saw he, he was now better. And you know what he gave me? He just gave me so much hope. One can get through this. And in most instances, it also requires you as the individual to then do something about it and get yourself onto that path of recovery. Because if you do some of the things that either your doctor or your therapist or whatever is telling you to do, know that recovery, recovery in some form is possible. So Terry, I was so impressed with Jeff and what he has to say about changing the work culture to reduce stigma. And I think it takes a brave person to come forward and be authentic and take that risk and then hopefully be able to get the uh, corporate culture to make a change, basically maybe leading to a place where it's safer for people to be honest. Jeff made the point it's good for business and it's good for people. And people are not just, you know, data points. They're not just service providers. They're human beings with real human problems. And if our workplaces can take that into account, I think it's going to be better for everybody. Absolutely. Very grateful to Jeff for talking to us again. This is his second episode with us and for bringing us some hope, not only about a human individual's potential recovery like his that he shared, but also for the potential for some corporate change and Hopefully, and we keep using the word hope, COVID has at least reminded us all of how fine that line can be between being well and being unwell. So thank you, Jeff. And thank you, Anita. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen 